if you boil it down to what actually like, the thing that actually makes you happy is probably something that you can actually achieve tomorrow or today, as opposed to waiting 15 years for the Lamborghini to show up on your door. Welcome to The Wayfinder Show with Adam Lacey and Luis Hernandez, where guests discuss the why and how of making changes in their life that led them down a greater, more authentic path or allowed them to level up in some area of their life. Our goal is to dig deep and provide not only knowledge, but actionable advice to help you get from where you are to where you want to be. Come join us and find the way to your dream life. All right, welcome back to the Wayfinder Show, Adam. How you doing, man? Doing really good today, man. How are you? I'm all right. You know, living a dream. Weather. It's been rainy out here in Colorado a lot lately. How's the weather over there in Paradise? I mean, South Carolina, <laughs> Charleston. Yeah, uh, it's been really nice too. We've gotten a little bit of rain, but yeah, it's been pretty nice. I think it's actually been a cooler than usual for this time of year uh okay. so it's been great mornings have been cool and and yeah. then you know it gets warmer during the day but it's been it's been great and you're unpacked uh no i mean <laughs> I, all the essentials are unpacked and and yeah we got to a point yesterday where like there's actually room on our you know kitchen island and kitchen table to like eat food and stuff and now there's yeah. just a garage full of stuff to unpack yeah <laughs> but once you do, then it's time to come back to Denver, man. We miss you out here. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come visit, man, but I, I'm digging in here. So or you got to right. come visit here. I do have to go visit there. You're right. Yeah. So we got a great guest today. Uh, one of our Go Bros, right? In Emerge uh, a program, uh, Pat Menifee. Pat is, uh, I believe he's out in Charlotte. Is that right, Pat? Yes, sir. Yeah. And uh, been a former U.S. Army member. Actually, was in Ranger School, so uh, so actually was in in the military at a high level. And uh, thank you for your service. First of all, before I describe you anymore, you're a husband, a father. Uh, been in in the corporate world. Got into rentals, right? Uh, buying some rentals to get and had some business partnerships and some. Uh, I understand you've had some pretty big losses too um, in the business world, and we'll talk a little bit about that done some flipping, some business acquisitions, right? And uh, yeah. and you've had some pretty good jobs in the corporate world while you were there too. So it must have, it'll be interesting to hear how how you, you know, got yourself out of that. But, uh, you know, without further ado, Pat, welcome to the Wayfinder Show. Yeah, thank you guys very much. I appreciate it. Excited to be here and excited to chat. And also you do have to come visit out here. It is uncharacteristic, uncharacteristically beautiful this time of year. Yeah, Usually how far is Charlotte shit, from so. Charles, Charleston? Three uh, hours, three hours, yeah, yeah, three and a okay. half, yeah. Okay. We're going down to Garden City this weekend for my daughter's birthday. I can never remember where anything is, so I've, that's close-ish to you. Okay. I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even know. Garden City. <laughs> I'll have to look I into it. Either. But yeah, I'm going next there on time, Saturday and I have no idea. We should meet up at some point, do something yeah. fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on again. Um, Obviously, Louie gave you gave a little listener some bullet points here, but you want to kind of get into your background a little bit. And then as we move forward, we can talk more about what you're getting into now and what you got planned for the future. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I 
so I spent, like you said, I spent six years in the army and that was after college. And I got out in 2018. I, I spent almost aside from deployments and training and stuff like that. I spent the whole time in the Midwest and I grew up in the Midwest, went to school in the Midwest. So I kind of had the opportunity to go anywhere. And I came out here to Charlotte. Um, that was when I joined a consulting company at the time, worked consulting for a while, then switched over to a bank. And I was in the banking industry the whole time. And when I was consulting, but use that as kind of a starting point to realize that I wanted to do something bigger, do something more and wanted to actually take control of my life for myself. I ever since I was a kid, I had an entrepreneurial bug. Um, it really came from my mom watching her have a business from day one and seeing what that afforded us as a family. So I knew that I wanted to do that. The army is not exactly the best incubator in the world for entrepreneurial ideals, but it, it taught me a lot. So I ended up Fast forward to the consulting world. I'm this is pre-COVID. I'm traveling four days a week, flying out Monday morning, flying back Thursday evening. And I started building up a real estate portfolio. And within I closed on my first deal in 2019. And about 13 months later, I had 21 doors and a couple of flips wow. and quit my job. Um, and really the the flips were the thing that like, I had some cash flow, but the flips were the final straw that allowed me to create some runway for myself and believe my job ultimately. But so I did that for a little bit, flipped houses, ended up getting into a house. I built a house flipping business that wasn't great. Um, didn't love it. Wanted to pivot, ended up pivoting. I, along the way, I'd bought more real estate. I bought more long-term rentals, short-term rentals, apartments, all that kind of stuff. And just kind of continued to progress through the real estate realm before realizing that it just, it wasn't where I cared about where I wanted to spend my time. So bounced around a little bit more, which is why, like you said, I bought a business last year still in the business that's what the logo is right now but along the way I realized that that also wasn't the thing that I cared about the most and that eventually led me into the coaching work that I'm doing now so it's mm -hmm. been a lot of there was a lot of clarity to get to the point where I left my job and then the clarity kind of ended there and there's been a lot of trying to figure things out now for the first time in probably the three years two and a half three years since I quit my job I finally feel like I've got the clarity again so that's so great. before we dig into the coaching, which I definitely want to get into, why a lawn care business? You got the shirt on, it says DGP Lawn Care in Charlotte there. So all you Charlotte people that need your lawns, got to hit them up. But why <laughs> why lawn care? Really good question. Uh, because I found it on by, Biz by Cell. Okay. That, in all honesty, I having a real estate portfolio and transitioning out of real estate, I wanted something that in some way, shape or form in my mind was going to touch real estate, or I could at least somehow rely on or work with some of the same contacts. And so in my mind, I, people that had a portfolio of properties or they had flips or something like that, that I could service a lawn care company was a natural fit. Um, ironically, since I bought the company, I've actually turned down those opportunities because it doesn't make business sense to do so, but that's a different story. But that was ultimately, I was looking for something that I could carry over some semblance of um, my, I guess my network that was here in Charlotte. That was one piece, but that was kind of minimal. And then once I started actually looking, I wanted something that had a lower barrier of like, you don't need a highly skilled degree or anything like that. You can find at least for the filling in labor, um, not for any specialized work like a, or, or even leadership roles like crews or anything like that, just for, just for actual working blue collar workers. They're not too terribly hard to find now getting them to stay is a different story, but I wanted something like that where the barrier to entry wasn't really high. And then I wanted something that was already producing and something that was going to be relatively recession resistant. And 
doesn't matter what the economy does, the grass is still going to grow. So, and in a lot of the neighborhoods that we have, they're higher scale neighborhoods. And so the people that are in those neighborhoods, the, the first thing that they're going to cut is probably not going to be something that's going to make them go out and buy a mower and push it around. So, but all those things came together to kind of be a good fit. But from the very start, I wasn't looking initially for lawn care. I was just kind of browsing different options and that one jumped out to me. And now that you've yeah. been in it, do you still find all those reasons to be the case? No, not yeah. at all. What's it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, What's reality? in theory, in theory, absolutely. In theory, all of that makes perfect sense. In reality, the by buying a company and having a an already core group of customers going out to do, uh, first of all, the, the relation to real estate, going out to service one of my friend's properties for a flip or something like that doesn't make any sense because now I've got to interrupt the schedule and I've got to, like it, we're already falling behind on a regular basis because we've got a lot of customers. And so spending 45 minutes to go drive out to one of these properties to go mow it for 50 bucks and drive back, we would lose money on. So that was, that was just a, a fallacy that I didn't even think about, but then getting into the business and and really in this one is just more of the size of the business that I bought. It was, I bought it from an owner operator, which was fine because he, he was producing revenue. And I knew going, going in that the only way that I was going to really be profitable was if I continued to grow it because I, I brought someone in that would actually work for me in my flipping company. And he's the one that's the operator. And so he's, he's running everything on a day-to-day -day basis. And he basically replaced the owner. But what I didn't take into account was all of the things that we're going to, I added in some of the expenses that I was going to have. I think I underestimated some of them. And so, and then also I underestimated the fact that I bought in September and we had mm. one month of really busy kind of getting stood up, figuring out what the hell we were doing. The next month, October was winding down yeah. and then we started doing projects, but we, neither of us knew how to estimate projects. So we did our best revenue month in October and we lost money because we had no idea how to price anything. We had to redo some stuff. Uh, mm. And then it got to the dead season and it got slow. And so, and then now finally last month was the best month that we've had, but it's been a, it, a lot of that is just a learning process. And the other thing that I realized kind of the biggest thing was I went in with, with the best of intentions of I'm going to buy this. And I know for a fact that this is owner operated and I know that I'm going to replace him with this guy. What I didn't take into account was by replacing the operations, I kept all the back end for myself. And so when I was mm. getting out of the army, if you would have made a list of a hundred jobs and HR and customer service were anywhere on that list, I would have like, they would have been at the bottom. Yeah. And I bought myself a job where I am an HR manager, a customer service manager. And as of yet, I don't get paid for it. So that's mm. the, it it's on the up, which is great. It's growing. And we've made things a lot more efficient. We've gotten rid of a bunch of the customers that were kind of pulling us in the wrong direction and we've continued to grow too, but definitely, definitely a lot of lessons and not what I thought early on. Interesting. Do Are you, you close to, to a point uh, where you can hire somebody to take on some of that HR stuff or maybe a VA, something along those lines? Yeah, it's, I've honestly been doing it by empowering my current employee and bringing in some more part-time help for him, but help basically giving a lot of the customer service aspect of things to him. But yes, mm -hmm. I, that will be my probably summer ish, late summer timeframe. That's the hope at least. Cool. Mm -hmm. 
Can can we go back in time a little bit? Sure. The, back in that recent chapter, I, I'm I'm curious about you know your your time like your rental business. You grew that really quickly, right? You you said 21 doors in 13 months. I mean that that's that's fast. That's a lot. How did you do that? Yeah, it was. I have to go back a little bit before that to yeah, what set it up. I, so that was in, I closed on my first property in September of 2019. It was a fourplex. And then a week later I closed on another six units and then it could just continued after that. But prior to that, I'd bought my first actual piece of real estate back in March of that year. It was a primary residence. And my thought at the time was I was going to use the VA loan. I, I did use the VA loan on that property. I was going to do that and just kind of, snowball them with owner occupied houses every year. And yeah. I just go buy a new one, move out, run out the old one. And I just, you know, take the slow path. And I started realizing that the slow path wasn't going to be good. I, or that I was, that I knew that I could do better than that. And then I had actually, holy shit, it is June 6th. It was June 6th of 2019. And I was at a client appreciation event for the house that I bought with my real estate agent. And I was talking to these two, this couple, and there was nothing remarkable about Mark. Can't talk. Nothing remarkable about them whatsoever. But they had five condos, and they just casually mentioned that they had these five condos and these five rentals. And I looked at them, and I was like, "There's no reason that I can't be doing that." And yeah. so I that day I decided that I was going to start taking action. Um, less than a month later, I had the first deal under contract, and then the next one after that, and so. That started the from the mental prospect at least or the mental process that got that ball rolling, and then from the the actual technical process, I call it burn the ships. I I went all in. I had from the past I was thirty one at the time I think, and from my military career, just from my entire professional career, I had eighty five thousand dollars roughly in a stock portfolio that I had fully managed. It wasn't a four hundred one k or anything like that because I always wanted to manage it myself and didn't know about any other options, but I cashed all that out and I used half of it to buy my first property. Cause I, I put 25% down and um, yeah, 25% down on $160,000 property. And then the next one, I started realizing after that, that I couldn't, I, I couldn't do that anymore if I wanted to keep going and I needed a partner. So I started looking for partners for the other deals. And so I did four more deals after that. And each one of those deals was with a different partner and we had a different structure with each one, but I ended up taking that other 40 to $45,000 and stretching that between four other deals and whatever that is, 20 or 16, some 17 units. Mm -hmm. And so we used some type of creative structure, but at the end of the day, I was the one doing all of the work. I was the one coordinating everything, managing, finding the deal, funding the deal with at least getting the loan. Um, and then they just brought cash to the table and so that was the, that was the only way that I could grow the way that I wanted to at the speed at which I wanted to. And then at the end, at the tail end of that was when I realized that was 10 months in was when I closed on the 20th door. And I had a couple other ones lined up that I got in a contract with. And I had two other partners that were both two other potential partners that were both super needy and they were going to be a huge pain in the ass. And that was kind of my stopping point where I looked around and I was like, I, the last, the the fifth deal that I did, the fourth one that I did with a partner, I was doing all the work on. It was kind of a pain in the ass and I was making 200 bucks a month. And there came a point where I was like, this is, I mean, this is great because I'm getting in these deals with no money. So technically my cash on cash return is incredible, but this 200 bucks is not worth my time and not worth my right. headache. 
And that's why I started getting into flipping so that I could generate some capital to start getting into deals myself. So, mm -hmm. And you did that yourself or you got partners on those as well? The first couple of flips I did with, um, I did with the equity from my second deal. So technically it was with a partner. We had, I'll tell a quick story about that deal because it was crazy, but I, it was six units. It was three duplexes that were all side by side. And this was the rental that I had. And so I bought it, subdivided it. Initially, I just subdivided it with the intent of being able to refinance it out of a commercial loan and into residential 30-year fixed. Yeah. I figured that would just help the cash flow. And what I didn't fully, I, I, looking back, I feel like a genius and also an idiot for not thinking about it. But I didn't think about the fact that by making them duplexes instead of a six-unit place, it significantly increased the value because it opened yeah. up the market base. And so as a result, just by, I put $1,300 into subdividing this property and it added $100,000 to it within yeah. four months. So my buddy and I, he didn't know anything about this. He just was excited that I made him a bunch of money accidentally almost. And so we took out a line of credit on it. And so that was, that line of credit was what we used then to flip the next, the first couple of properties. And then once I got some money back from those flips and had some other cash from a deal that I sold that I had a bunch of equity in. I, once all of that stuff started coming together, then I started using my own cash for everything. And with the exception of one deal, kind of got out of partnerships after that. But mm -hmm. And somewhere along the way, you you had like a pretty big loss, right? I saw somewhere you you had like a 200K loss. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's get humble a little bit here now and talk about that. <laughs> well, remember when I said I didn't have clarity after I quit my job? Right. That was... That was a big byproduct of it, honestly. I found this place out in Fayetteville, North Carolina, that was an eight-unit apartment, and it was a it was a complete piece of shit. And it was ninety-two. Can I say that? Sorry, yeah, I should check. Oh yeah, yeah. you could. It was. I, I think I paid ninety-two or ninety-seven thousand dollars for it, or something like that. And I had a private loan, and so I went in, and I had done two flips at this point, and then I had my rental portfolio. And the really ultimately it came down to a couple of things. One, I bit off way more than I could chew. This project was under when we walked through it and we did the initial estimate, it was 150 to $175,000 in rehab. And realistically it was more like 250 to 300. Mm. And that it was stupid to even think about that. The second mistake that I made was I worked with a general contractor who was local to Charlotte. And then he had a project manager that was close to Fayetteville, but so he, that's three hours away. So mm -hmm. the general contractor was just as far away as I was. So that was a complete shit show and mistake. So he mm -hmm. couldn't oversee it properly. Things fell way behind. Also, again, like an idiot, he didn't have commercial general contracting experience mm -hmm. and so, or commercial construction experience. And so he didn't know fully the process for, for what permits he was supposed to pull and plans and all that kind of stuff, which then threw us way behind on schedule. And just like every, when you listen to, when you get into real estate and you listen to the podcast and read the books and all the things that they yeah. tell you not to do, like I did every single one of those things on this deal. Yeah. And this was like, this wasn't my first deal. This was, you know, I had, I'd done a bunch of deals by this point too. So I, I no reason that I shouldn't have known better, but right. anyway, that was ultimately we started going through a bunch of problems. Um, the The project got halted due to some permitting issues that we were working through. Finally, on the back end of it, I I got he ended up having to fire his project manager. 
I was kind of losing my shit because all the stuff that while we were stopped, the things that were still able to get done, none of it got done. And one day in July of that year, he, and that was 2020, he just said he couldn't do it anymore mm -hmm. and kind of walked off the job. And also to this day, two and a half, three years later, still owes me some money from that. But wow. that was at that point, I basically, because the stuff that he had, it was, it was basically where we had gone far enough in the rehab where it was impossible to have someone else come in behind it and continue it on. Yeah. But I had also done enough that I'd already paid a bunch. So it was this awful middle ground of the only way that I could start this project was to start it over, which yeah. then was going to mean on top of the $90,000 roughly that I had already paid, I also was going to need to pay another 250 or something like that. And there was no way it was wow. going to work. So I started trying to sell it. And then it took me a year and a half to sell the damn thing. I went under contract probably seven different times with people that I, I, I signed the closing paperwork one time and the yeah. buyer just never showed up. Um, so it was ended up losing $200,000. And by the time, I mean, the thing was by the time I, I had a private lender on it and I'd already paid off the private lender with some of the proceeds from some other stuff that I sold. So by the time I got down to it, like I, I, I wasn't making any loan payments or anything like that, but I was just, I had a hole in my, like I had no cash from this thing. And anything that I sold it for was just putting money back in my pocket at that point. So by the time I sold it, I had a big celebration because it was not only getting cash back in my pocket, but like that, that was one of the deals that it, it broke me for a while. Like that was, yeah. that one hurt a lot. And how long ago was it that it actually sold? February. So four okay. months. So pretty recently. Yeah. 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 Well, did you ever flip again after that? I did after that one started. Yes. Uh, after it ended. No, I haven't done anything since. Were, uh, yeah. Man, you brought up a lot of trauma for me going through that. I actually was, uh, uh, some of our listeners know, I was a, a pretty big flipper back in the day leading up to 08 and, and was doing high volume flipping as well. And, and some of the stories you described, I went through as well. And yeah, I got out for, I didn't flip my next house till last year. So really, last one was 2009 and flipped one in 2022. It, it's really hard to come back from that. You know, you just want to hate real estate in general after that, right? Yeah, it was, I mean, there's a lot of it that I'm thankful for in terms of the, like, what led me up to that point And the fact that it, you know, the, the one benefit of the loss taking two years to get there was yeah, the, like, as I sold deals and as other things happen, it wasn't like I had a $200,000 loss all at once. It was basically a, a bleed of $200,000 over the course of a year and a half, which still sucked, but it, yeah, it, that kind of, it was more of the mental piece of it towards the end. And it was that kind of helplessness of like, I'm trying to basically give the damn thing away and nobody will buy it. And it's yeah, just, I know the feeling it's just eating away. Yeah. It, it, honestly, I think that, that one coupled with some other stuff is the reason I'm, I have one property that's supposed to actually that six unit place I told you guys about is set to close next Friday um, to sell that one. And then after that, I'll have one deal it's a short-term rental and I'll be putting that on the market before the end of the month. Yeah. And it's a combination. I mean, that that's definitely a part of it. it. Also just a combination of wanting to pivot into something else right. and a variety of other factors. But yeah, that after a while that doing that in a few different deals and the other deals I didn't lose money on like that, but doing that in a few different deals was enough to make me realize that it wasn't something that I was, I wasn't passionate enough about it to start with. It was yeah. a means to an end. So. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> no, I was going to say just the, you went down a few different, you know, avenues here that we've talked about. Obviously you were doing real estate rentals, you were flipping houses, you bought the lawn care company. Um, none of which you can correct me if I'm wrong. None of which was really the path that you see your future going, but, but all provided really great experiences, which I think is a lesson for everybody to, you know, keep trying things and, and, you know, while I'm sure, you know, someone could classify all of these things as failures. I mean, it's, you've learned a ton of crap from this stuff and, and learned yeah. even more about yourself from this stuff. And, and now going forward, let's talk about, it. you have a new venture that you're going, you still have the lawn company, but let's talk about what you're doing now. Yeah, that's well, as a part of that too, what you just said about the last, about how it could look with failures. I, well, first of all, yes, there were a lot of failures. Second of all, the last year, that it's taken me to get to the point of moving from real estate to this coaching business is if you were to look at that from the outside or from a 10,000 foot view, that is the epitome of shiny object syndrome. And Cause I bounced all over the place trying to figure out where the hell I was trying to go. But I think that's a, that's something that we, we talk about in a very negative light in a lot of times. And, and there's plenty of times that people chase something and it is a shiny object. But for me, I like that's absolutely what I needed. I needed to experiment. I needed to try different things. I needed to figure out where the hell I needed to go. And that is a really integral part of the process. So I always like to just add that in because I think it's it's important to realize that you can experiment, you can try different things. Um, now, ideally, don't fail at as many things as I did, but <laughs> it is all part of the story along the way. And I'm still way better off even financially than I was when I started. So it all works out. But all that to say the coaching piece that you're asking about that I last summer, I picked up a <clears throat> picked up one coaching client and it was by accident. He just reached out, asked if I was, if I'd work with him and I enjoyed it. And as I went into really the turn of the year, this past year, 2022 into 2023, I, I just had so this. Sorry to interrupt, but did he want you to coach him specifically in real estate or, or what was the, what was the, how did he approach you with that? It was, it started with real estate, but he basically was me a couple of years before he was a veteran. He worked in the banking industry. He actually, I met him because he bought a flip from me and, or a wholesale okay. deal from me. So he wanted starting with real estate, but kind of everything getting into business ownership and getting out of his job and figuring out that kind of path. So that was real estate was the, it was definitely the kicker to start with though. And that's what it is for a lot of people, honestly, that or leaving their job or a combination of the two. But that was where after working with him for a while and enjoying some of the transformation and seeing like some of the most fulfilling times when he got real big moments of clarity, as I had this kind of at the end of the year, figuring out realizing that the lawn care side and business acquisition wasn't everything that I thought it was. And I still wasn't happy. I realized that the one thing, and, and a lot of this came down from to working with my coach and him helping me out with this too, and working through it together. But the one thing that I've done going back to college and probably before then was I always coached or led or mentored people uh, in the army, outside of the army, in corporate America, even in real estate, all like, I just love, helping people in that way and helping see that transformation. So when I started realizing that that was something that I could actually do and I could do more of, and I realized how much, like I actually stopped to think about it and realized that this was a possibility. That was when I decided to go all in on it and I've really shifted my focus there. Nice. That's great. 
So who's your ideal client and, and what are you helping them do? The ideal client is someone who is some type of business professional or someone who's been in business for a little while that just ultimately isn't happy with the trajectory of their life and where they're going. And typically that means one of three things. Either that means that they're in a job that they don't like and they desperately want to get out of. That's probably the most common. Another one is they know that there's a way out and they see other options, but there's just too many and they have no idea what to do. So they just settle. And then the third is someone who's comfortable and relatively happy with where they are, but they just, they know that they're capable of more and they want to explore that. So those are the three primary types of people. And really what we do is work through figuring out where they're trying to go. But part of that is like digging into goals is helpful to a very small point because a lot of times people have no idea why their goals are what their goals are. So digging into goals is with the intention of understanding why the hell they're going in the direction that they're going. And most of the time, the answer is they have no idea or because they heard someone else do it or something like that. And so it's really figuring out and digging deeper into where is it that you actually truly want to go? Why, why are you going down the path that you're going? What is a better path for you? And what is the right path for you? And also exploring ways to actually create a tangible roadmap to start taking action immediately towards something and then continue to refine that. So a lot of times the the near-term goal ends up being, like I said, leaving your job. But my based on my experience, and a, and a lot of this just comes from the work that I have done on myself over the past couple of years, I want to help people experience a, a simpler path than this. And what I found for myself was my entire goal for the majority of my adult career was to quit my job. And once I did, I didn't have a purpose anymore. And so mm-hmm. if if I can help clients think about putting their job in that level of financial freedom as more of a milestone, as opposed to an actual destination, then I think that creates a lot more fulfillment in that departure from their job. And it provides more continuity where they still have a feeling of purpose because otherwise, like when I look at the reason that I got into flipping and everything else that I did, it ultimately came down to money because none of it was impactful or meaningful. And I didn't give a shit about any of it technically, like from a, from a deeper level. And so that was why I kind of wandered around. And that's why I want to help other people do that in a more effective way. So how do you help them figure out their why if they don't come to you with that? Is there a, I don't know, any kind of framework that can get it, help them get into that? There's, there's a couple of different exercises or, or kind of envisioning exercises that we'll do and kind of around end of your, a lot of times it starts with playing with whatever it is that they care the most about. So if they have kids talking about like, how do you want your kids to describe you? What kind of thing do you want them to see you as? And kind of really dig deeply into that. On the other side, if it's, if there's something about their legacy that they want to have, how a lot of times leaning into after you're gone, or if you're on your deathbed, what is it that you want people to talk about you for? What do you want to be known for? And that doesn't always work with everyone. Some people don't have any idea or they don't really care. And they don't believe, you know, you go the Alex Hormozzi route and they don't believe in legacy. And so in those cases, I pivot a lot and it's a lot as part of why coaching is so much fun is because there's no just clear cut path. And I'm still, I've been doing this for, with a bunch of, with multiple clients. I've been doing it since the beginning of the year. And every time I get on a call, I'm creating new frameworks and creating new ways to do things. But it's ultimately, it, my coach put it a really good way. It's basically sparring 
Like I'm, I'm looking for the end that I can take to really get at what drives them. And for every person, it's a little bit different. And so some of the tools are similar. Some of the exercises are similar, but it's just looking for what that kind of key point is for that person that I can then lean on and say, what does this person think about you? What is this person? Like, what do you care about this perception or this identity or anything like that? And start digging into that and kind of extrapolating the the why and the meaning behind it. Love it. Are you familiar with Donald Miller? I've heard the name. But I don't so know he's wrote a bunch of books um, and he, he's got a program called Business Made Simple. He kind of helps people grow their small businesses, but he wrote a book called um, Hero on a Mission. And a lot of that book is it's kind of helping people do just that, come up with their why. And the reason I just thought about that is one of the exercises that he does in that is he has you write your eulogy, you know, and he takes you through the exercises of, you know, different gardens of your life, if you will. And, you know, when, when someone's giving your eulogy, what do you want them to say about you? And then kind of backtrack from that, you know, point 50 years down the road to, okay, where do I need to be in 10 years, five years, one year? Okay. Now what are we doing in the next 90 days to, to get to that, to become that person? And sorry, it just, just made me think of that. That's all. No, I like that. I think it is really powerful. Cause that's a, when, when you just ask the question, it's too open-ended and, and people can't, a lot of times, unless you spend a lot of time thinking about it, people can't answer it. But if you take it from a couple of different angles, like one of the guys that I'm working with, we, the other day went into, I, I couldn't get through when the, the way that I was trying to, and we we started talking about values a little bit too, to try to use values as a way to move forward. And he couldn't think about, he couldn't define any of his values. And so I started taking it from the perspective of he's got an eight-year-old and a six-year-old and looking at like, when your kids are in high school, your teacher calls you or one of the teachers calls and for parent teacher conferences and the, the conversation goes horribly. And they, they say something, you walk out of there very upset with how your kid is acting and what they said, what is it that they're saying? And that kind of like that started digging into, and the way that he answered that started talking about getting results and not working hard and all these types of things and started getting into the things that he personally values. But because it wasn't about him, he was able to start thinking about it a little bit differently. And he was able to start pulling some stuff out that we could then use to drive towards something different. So that's just, I mean, that's just one example, but with each person, it's a little bit different. And some people can get clear a lot faster. Some people it takes call after call after call to mm. break through some of the things. You know, it reminds me of the uh, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger uh, quote. I forget which one coined it, but they always say, if you want to figure out how to live your life, just, you know, figure out um, how you how you're going to die and reverse engineer it. Something along those lines. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Pat, the uh, you you with all of your previous business ventures, right? Um you, you talked about you, there was something that you kind of got blindsided by, right? And that it didn't work out the way you expected, right? And uh, have you given any thought to how, you know, whether it was flipping or the rental business, the partnerships, like now with the lawn care business, right? And and they all worked out in different ways. But have you given any thought like to what your blind spots might be with going into the coaching business? Mm, that's a really good question. Yeah. Some of it is one of the areas, I use the example of a pendulum a lot because I feel like I've, 
a giant pendulum a lot of times. I one way that I often swing is I I have a, a figure it the hell out, dive in ready aim or ready fire aim or whatever. And sometimes it's not even ready. Sometimes it's just fire aim. I don't know if I'm ready or not. And like that's the approach that I take a lot of times. In other ways, I'll swing to the other side of the spectrum where I don't want to like I know that I need to be more diligent. And so I'll swing to the side of almost the analysis paralysis kind of thing where I dig in too deep and plan too much. And I've I already know that I have bounced back and forth a little bit between the two of those in the coaching business. I know that I can't just do like this is far deeper than a flipping a house and just winging it with a client that we're talking about something very important to them. Yeah. That, like that's not an option. Also there, there is an element of like, you kind of, like I mentioned before, there's something different about every call. You can't script them. So there is, you have to wing it in that regard, but going in and educating myself and being prepared, like that is the other side of the spectrum and coming up with a clear marketing plan and coming up with all the, like, the education and deep dive. That is a place that I've never spent a lot of time because I've always been on the other side of just figure the hell out, which has also gotten me in trouble. So mm-hmm. that is, that's one of, that's the first thing that comes to mind and something that I'm actively working on. And it's something that like, even in the army, like I, all of my, all the things that I've done, except for some of the major losses like that, like we talked about, but for the most part, everything else, like I've, I've had a lot of success in the army and in my corporate career and everything else. And, and a lot of it came from my intuition. It came from just figuring mm-hmm. it the hell out. And so I've seen the kind of the reward from it. And I also realize a lot of times how much better I could have been if I had also done some of the more diligent work. Yeah. And, uh, and even just a silly example, like I, when I was a kid, I played baseball and I was, I was pretty damn good at baseball. I wasn't great, but I was pretty good. And then I realized like, I don't know, six, seven years after I stopped playing, I was in a batting cage and I realized as I watched a ball go by and I hit it, I never looked at the ball. Like I never watched the ball all the way to the bat. And it's a ridiculous thing to say as a baseball player, but like I had a, I maintained a solid batting average by never actually watching the ball all the way to the plate. And those little things, like if I would have actually put effort into baseball, I probably would have been really damn good. Mm -hmm. And I think that same thing applies to all of this. And now this is actually something. and, And the thing was baseball was fun, but, and same thing with flipping and with everything else. Like I didn't truly deeply care about any of those things. They, I cared yeah. about other stuff and they were kind of a means. Coaching is a place where I do actually deeply give a shit about what I'm doing. And <laughs> so that is, I am starting to be more aware of some of those blind spots, but I'm sure there are a bunch more that. I, I think that question. awareness is what's going to make you a great coach. I, I mean, I, I, I don't see it with every, I mean, I recently had a coach that I, I thought, uh, was great. He's very intuitive and everything. And and I think that's a big part of it. Right. But also uh, there, there is some, some more around it and you, you, you're clearly aware and that that's great. And I, I commend you for that. Cause I think a lot of people get like, you know, I'm in a, I'm a realtor, right. Everybody gets into being a realtor. They think they can do it. They think it's showing out and showing houses and then they make it all up as they go. Right. And it took me 20 something years to realize, no, we can't do that. And so now with my agents, we, we practice and role play and everything at the office. So we're not doing it with clients, right? So it's really important, but you clearly have that awareness, which is, is great. Uh, and I commend you for it. I appreciate it. And I, I sincerely appreciate the question because now when we get off of this, I'm going to spend some time thinking about what some of the other ones are. I mean, and I think you asked it in a really good way too, because that's, oh, thank you. 
when I think about the other businesses and some of the other things that went sideways, there's probably a lot more. I remember the big lessons, but some of the little ones can slip and the little ones are usually the more important ones. So I, I think we're probably around that, uh, around that time, right, Adam? <laughs> yeah. Ask our Pat, you want to do four. the Wayfinder 4. All Let's right. do it. So uh, Pat, can you give us a hack? Something to use to hack life. Uh, could yeah. be an app, a routine, something to make your life easier. My morning routine has become my biggest hack right now. And and even within my morning routine, I've kind of hacked my hack more recently. And so my I, I've gone through the whole Hello Rod thing and yeah. ebbed and flowed from doing the full miracle morning to figuring out what my own thing was. And one one component of it is tailoring it to myself. And I know that there's some things in there that I need to do. There's some things that aren't good for me to do first thing in the morning. But as I've kind of played with it, making it into a bite-sized thing that I can just, if I wake up late, I can still get it in in two minutes if I have to. I can at least get a part of it in. That's huge for me. And then more recently, as I've started to get back into meditation, one thing that I realized as a hack was I I always journal. That's usually, the, if I can't do anything else, that's the one thing that I'll do. But when I journal, it's usually reflection and there's gratitude in there, but it's always rearward looking. And so then I'll meditate. But when I'm meditating after journaling, I'm meditating with my mind focused on the past. And so what I've started doing more recently that is I've actually felt better from it. And I don't know if it's just because of placebo effect or whatever it is, but I've started doing affirmations right before my meditation after I do my journaling. And so the, the affirmations, I feel like they get me more into a future state and where I'm going. And so when I'm meditating, that's the last thing on my mind. So that's been my little hack to my morning routine lately that adding in some type of forward-looking affirmation or visualization prior to meditation. Is that I love that. The entirety I've never heard anybody routine? say that before. Sorry. Louie, we're rusty, man. We're talking yeah, about yeah, this whole episode. Go ahead. <laughs> Before you go on to the next question, Adam, the uh, is that the you, you mentioned uh, meditation affirmation? Is that the entirety of your morning routine? Gratitude. I do. When I do the full thing, I'll do what it looks like. Is I'll journal. I'll start with a journal that includes gratitude. Then I'll have, I'll track my habits, and I've got X number of habits that I've started tracking over the past six months, so I can see from month to month how much better I get. Um, I do that every morning. I read a devotional and I read a, lately I've been reading the daily stoic. So I'll just yeah. read those for the day. And then after that, I do my um, affirmations. I haven't been doing visualization that much. Uh, don't, it feels weird. So I haven't been doing visualizations, but I'll do the affirmation and then I'll do meditation. And then usually after that, I'll jump back into reading a little bit, but that's, and usually it's just a short meditation. I'll do like a three to five minute thing. And then I'll either, I'll read, I do all this before my daughter gets up in the morning. And so if I still have time after that, I'll read every now and then, if I'm really feeling it, I will dig into some type of deeper work in the business or something else, because my brain is going and, and I'm in a really good spot for it. So, but the first piece up through meditation is that's ideally what I do every morning. So now name a favorite, and this can be a favorite a book, a band, a movie, just something you like. Say my favorite. Well, my favorite book has changed a lot, but the alchemist 
mm-hmm. is I just reread that for the second time. That book is phenomenal. And I think each time I've read it, I, and I'm going to naturally read it again, but each time there's something different to pull out of it mm-hmm. in relation to whether it's destiny or whether it's overcoming or anything like that. The other one that is far less common that I accidentally stumbled onto that has become a favorite of mine that I'm reading now to is the Eagle that drank hummingbird nectar. Have you guys heard of that? No, Hmm. no. It's a, I don't even really truly know how to describe it. There, there are some coaching elements in there so that that part resonates with me, but it's a really interesting story around again, kind of finding what fulfills you and, creating more intentionality and purpose in your life. And it's, it's written, both of them are written as stories, hmm. but huh. those I are two of my favorite books lately. Yeah. They're, it's short. It, it's about the same length as the alchemist. It's a real easy read. So is it like a fable like the alchemist? Yeah. Oh, good. I love those. It's, it's less, it's, it's more like a tribe of millionaires. If you've yeah. read that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not set in older times like alchemist, but it, yeah, it's a, it's a still a fable. Yeah. Still a fable. Yeah. Yeah, I like those books. Yeah, they're really um 25 what's something you would tell your 25 year old self? I feel like this answer changes from week to week. That's okay. Tell us this. Good. We'll have you back on. You can change it. (laughs) (laughs) I would say the the perceptions that you're concerned with are less concerning than you think. And what I mean by that is a lot of times I'll, I'll hold myself back from doing something because of an image of someone in my head or an image of the they in my head. And when I start thinking about who they is, they is actually a couple of people that someone I don't care about, someone that already supports me, someone that's my family, the perceptions and the things that are holding us back a lot of times um, are actually ghosts, if you want to call it that, like they're not actually real. So don't worry about those things as much. Just do the thing that you're going to do without the fear of perception. That's, that's one thing that I taught myself. Right. Love it. So what's one thing that holds people back from being happy? Not uh, adopting other people's version of happiness for themselves. Cause they've never actually ex- mm. explored it themselves. Mm. I think yeah. that's something that, yeah. I, I mean, that goes back to the the stuff that we're talking about with coaching and, and kind of the why question a lot of times. But when you ask why people are going to do something, I mean, why does someone get into real estate right now? The main reason that they get into real estate is because they've seen everybody else do it. It's not because it actually makes them happy or they actually care what they're doing. It's because they saw someone else do it and they see it as a means to an end. Um, right. So yeah. common too. Like, you know, yeah. well, well, why do you want a Lamborghini? I don't know. Because it looks cool on a magazine and someone else. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And if you if you boil it down to what actually like the thing that actually makes you happy is probably something that you can actually achieve tomorrow or today, as opposed to waiting 15 years for the Lamborghini to show up on your door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love so, um, Pat, I guess that, that's it for that we have now. Uh, how, if people want to learn more about you, how, how can you go about doing so? Yeah, the two best ways are Instagram. That I I'm on all of social media, I guess, but that's the one that I'm consistent on, and that's at the Patrick Menifee. And then my website is patrickmenifee.com. Those are the two best places you can find everything okay. else from there. I understand you have a podcast starting soon. Yeah, we're thank you. I 
end of June, we'll be launching our first episode of the Iterations podcast. The so. Iterations. Can't wait. Nice. Yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to having you guys on that one, too. Oh, With yeah, the be... Lena Dubavaya, who was on one of yeah. our earlier episodes. I yeah. love it. Yeah. I can't wait to check that out. You guys are yeah. great. Just when you guys get somewhere, just remember, we had Lena on first. So, <laughs> yeah. She owes her whole life to us. No, just kidding. <laughs> this was just the launch kidding. pad that brought it alive. Yeah. You know, honestly, Lena is a badass, man. So she really is. partnering up with her. And, and uh, I, I think... Up until recently, she was like our top downloaded episode. Really? Uh, I'm yeah, not surprised. Up until, yeah, very recently. I mean, she like took us to another level. She's great. Yeah. She's outstanding. Yeah. I met her at a, at a retreat back in January and was blown away and was resonated a lot with, we're working on a lot of the same things. So yeah. that's cool. Excited cool, about the man. podcast. So excited to have you guys on it. Yeah. It'll be yeah, fun. Wait. So uh, is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with before we go? No, there's probably a million things, but I've talked a lot. Yeah. You've been great, man. <laughs> it's really, you're, you're really deep. You're a really deep person. It's been great to have you on. Love your stories. Uh, I'm sure we can have, you know, you resonate. I resonate with some of your stories. I felt, I felt your pain, man, with all of the, the real estate stuff. So at some point we'll have to share a beer and, and, and compare war stories there at some point. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's plenty of them. Might need yeah, a lot of beers absolutely. for that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, so thanks a lot, Patrick. It's been great. Yeah, thank you thanks again for your service to our country. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed the Wayfinder show. If you got value from this episode, please take a few seconds to leave us a five-star rating and review. This will allow us to help more people find their way to live more authentic and exciting lives. We'll catch you on the next episode.